0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Peter chapter 5 and we read together verses 1 to 11. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers not because you must but because you are willing as God wants you to be not greedy for money but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.
1: Well, remain standing, if you will, and I'll pray for us. Father, in these last weeks, we, as we've been studying the book of 1 Peter, uh, we realise that he has written it to encourage us and to testify what the true grace of God is and for us to stand fast in it. We pray that would be the case now, that we would understand the true grace of God. Encouraged by it, we would stand firm in you for the days ahead. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, let me uh, encourage you to uh, uh, have your Bibles open to the second of the two readings that uh, Fred read for us earlier, 1 Peter chapter 5 as we get very close to the end of this series, looking through the uh, letter of 1 Peter. The other thing that I'd encourage you to do is to dig out this little handout, uh, this sermon outline, uh, a couple of pages, and uh, you'll see where we're going in the next few moments. You can take notes if you want to, but at least you'll see where we're going. Um, Being a Christian pastor is a dangerous job. Last week I mentioned an article written by the BBC correspondent Caroline Wyatt. She was uh, engaging with a report stating that there is a rising tide of anti-Christian persecution in several parts of the world, as she puts it. The same report says that Christians remain the most persecuted religious minority in the world. All over the world then, as we see uh, in verse 9, all over the world Christians are being persecuted just because they follow Jesus Christ. And while all Christians are in danger, very often when there's systematic systematic persecution of the church, it is church leaders who get targeted. At our monthly church family prayer meeting, we pray for the persecuted church. And time and again, we're asked to pray for pastors who are in prison or for the families of Christian leaders who have been executed. You see, dictatorial authoritarian regimes think that the way to shut the church up is to do away with the pastor, the church leader, which is why being a Christian pastor is a dangerous job. And so as Peter writes to Christians who are suffering for being Christian, here at the beginning of chapter 5 and right towards the end of the letter, he writes specifically to church leaders. If you're following along, we're on the first point. Elders shepherd God's flock see Peter appeals in verses one to four to the elders in the church to be the shepherds that they should be to take the lead it's an appeal to stand up and be counted whatever the cost remember the shepherds are the ones who are most likely to get it in the neck first so they're very tempted to shrink back at this point point. and Peter says take the lead Verse 2 Shepherd God's flock, even though doing that is a risky occupation in dangerous days. This is not just a call for pastors in far flung parts of the world. It is something we need to hear right here in Britain. See, gone are the days when the Church of England clergyman was a respected leader of the community. Back in the day, the Anglican clergyman would have been looked up to and listened to, not just by the congregation and not just by those who considered themselves religious, but by the entire community. But in my lifetime, that has shifted. First, the Church of England clergyman began to be seen as someone who was a bit of a joke. Think back to Dad's Army. In that classic British comedy, the clergyman was a bungling idiot. Think of the soaps in the 90s. Whenever there was a clergyman in the storyline, they were someone who was a bit wet and wimpy. In these last years, it shifted again. Church leaders are not the butt of jokes anymore, but they are treated with derision, sometimes quite rightly. Some of the things church leaders do, they should be treated with contempt. But my point is this, see the direction of travel from respect to a joke to derision. You can be sure the next step is persecution. It's happening all over the world and it will happen here as Britain becomes increasingly morally liberal and less and less tolerant of of the Christian message of the uniqueness of Christ. So when Christian leaders speak out for the truth, they'll be hated for it and targeted. That's where it's going. It's gonna get harder and harder. And so this is for us. For as the heat is turned up, elders in the church will be tempted not to stand up for the true grace of god but to be blending in with the world just to either keep quiet or to say what the world wants to hear and desperately that's happening already among many christian leaders so here's a call an appeal to those in positions of leadership to take the lead to care for god's people verse two be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care And that means, verse two, the first point on the handout, serving as overseers. That is a great balance. Christian leadership is not to be overbearing and dictatorial. It is a position of leadership. Elders are to be overseers, but it's a leadership of service, serving as overseers. And Christian leaders will get that right when they know who they're leading. Verse two again, be shepherds of God's flock. You may have heard church leaders do this. They shouldn't. Church leaders should never speak of the congregation as my people. You're not my people. No, together we are God's people. We are God's flock. And so I'm to care for God's flock, not my people, God's people. And knowing that, knowing that you're not mine, but his makes all the difference in the world. Have you ever borrowed someone else's car? don't know why I'm looking over here none of you can drive I hope you haven't have you ever borrowed someone else's car I, I, I have once or twice there are some very generous people in this church family and on a couple of occasions they lent me their car when I needed to travel down south when we only had one car in the family and I've got to tell you I am more careful driving someone else's car than I ever am when I drive my own have you noticed that How much more, then, with people? Knowing that a church family are not my people, but God's flock, should make the pastor that much more careful when they pastor them. Shepherds serve as overseers. Second verse 2 Not because you must, but because you're willing. See, God doesn't want unwilling conscripts, conscripts in gospel ministry, but willing workers. And again, how crucial that is when we're going to suffer for being Christian. Uh, When I was studying this, I recalled to mind two conversations that I had in one week when I was in London some years ago. I met with two men who were considering ordination in the Church of England. The first I met at the beginning of the week, well, he was keen, but he wasn't the most able and most gifted Christian man. He was servant hearted, He was eager to serve, willing and wanting to serve as a church leader. He'd asked to meet me because he wanted to talk about being ordained in the Church of England. Uh, When I say he wasn't the most able and most gifted, don't get me wrong. He was a fine young man. He was able to teach the Bible. But compared to the second young man who I met a few days later, he wasn't the most able. The second man was an exceptional Bible teacher. Frankly, he was exceptional at everything. And he was a nice bloke too. And because he was so able and gifted, he had many options before him. He already had a successful and lucrative career, and he was regularly offered other jobs in London. He was in demand. And as we met for coffee later that week and talked about the need for good young men to give themselves in gospel ministry, he said to me, Well, I suppose I could do it if there's a need well, look, there is a need in the church for able, gifted young men to be doing this job, but, verse two, not because they must, but because they are willing. So I came away convinced that the second young man wasn't right for the job. And you see, in the context of this letter, the context of suffering for being Christian, this is crucial, because when the heat is on, when the pastor is the first one to be targeted, he won't keep going in that leadership role if he's gone into it reluctantly. If I must you've got to be willing serving as overseers not because you must but because you're willing and thirdly verse two not greedy for money but eager to serve most professionals i meet work exceptionally long hours many work ridiculously long hours and in return they get a package which includes large financial inducements some people work in very dangerous situations we've heard in these last years of people working in iraq and then getting kidnapped and when those stories hit the news i wonder why they would go there and put themselves at risk and the answer is because they get very well paid to do it they get danger money if you work long hours or in a dangerous situation you expect to be paid for it don't you Well, here is Peter writing to church elders in a situation where Christian leadership was a dangerous occupation. And despite the perception that we only work one day a week, they'd have been working very hard. So it was dangerous, hard work, but they wouldn't be getting paid much money for it. So verse two, if you're greedy for money, if that's your motive, you'll soon want out of Christian leadership. It's hard work and it's dangerous, but it doesn't pay well. Look, I could be earning a lot more money in the, in the newspaper industry. So the Christian leader should care for God's flock by serving as overseers, not because they must, but because they're willing, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. And fourthly, verse three, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, for many people, money is not the appeal of the job, but the appeal is power, influence, prestige that really lights their fire being in a position where they can pull all the strings and tell others what to do that's why they go into church leadership peter says no don't lord it over others be an example that is crucial in church leadership it's pretty important in every kind of leadership because no one likes it when leaders don't lead by example even the world doesn't like that uh, the new band-aid single was launched this week to raise money for ebola and sales have gone bonkers to quote bob Geldof, one million pounds worth of sales in the first four or five minutes it's remarkable but if you caught up with the controversy around the song bob Geldof criticized adele for not singing on the new version of do they know it's christmas did you hear that And I was struck by the writing of journalist Bryony Gordon, who says that Geldof was wrong to name and shame Adele, and then she really laid into Geldof, writing in the Telegraph on Tuesday. She says, I don't want to be told how to behave philanthropically by a man worth an estimated £32 million, a man who is said to use tax avoidance schemes i don 't want to be implored to give charitably by a band that travels in separate private jets because they don 't get on, referring to one direction, which you all know, but they might not <laughs> i 'll carry on with the quote, or by a man who avoids Irish taxes while simultaneously telling the Irish government to help developing countries, referring to bono, which some of you will know, and you might not, but i 'll tell you anyway. <laughs> now, whatever you think of the rights and wrongs of uh, adele not singing or of Geldof's naming adele or indeed of whether it's right to write that sort of stuff in the telegraph it's a powerful rebuke in short the journalist brianie gordon is saying don't tell me how to live when you're not living it yourself lead by example that's what peter says here to christian leaders and peter himself is a terrific example of someone who leads by example I love verse one, going back. Do you see Peter describes himself as a, do you see it there, fellow elder? He was an apostle. We saw that back in chapter one, verse one. And as an apostle, Peter had been sent by God. That's what it means, one who was sent. He had been given authority in the church by God, but he doesn't play the authority card here. Verse one, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Isn't that wonderful? Leading by example. And why did Peter get it right? Look at the second half of verse one. Peter had witnessed the sufferings of Christ. See, the Lord Jesus, the the chief shepherd, is the supreme example of what it means to be a shepherd and a leader of God's people. Jesus, God himself, had all power and authority and he gave it all up to die for us. Peter, Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ. So he knew that Christian leadership was not about lording it over others, but about being an example. How different, incidentally, from the religious leaders of other faiths? How often in these last turbulent years have leaders of Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and ISIS told their followers to go and blow themselves up as suicide bombers while they, these leaders, hide themselves away in safe headquarters. Isn't that interesting? That wasn't the way of Jesus. He gave his life for us. And because that wasn't the way of Jesus, that wasn't the way of Peter, who witnessed Christ's sufferings. We are to lead by example and then we might see that in verse one in that it is written in the present tense Peter as he wrote witnessed the sufferings of Christ what could that mean if this present tense is important well it means this I think that he was as he wrote suffering for being a Christian in that sense he witnessed the sufferings of Christ in that he was suffering himself for being a Christian. And so as someone who did suffer for his faith in Christ, end of verse one, he knew he would share in the glory to be revealed. Again, it's what we saw last week. When you suffer for Christ, it's a sign you're a real Christian and therefore a guarantee that you will enjoy the glory to come of being in eternity with God forever. We've seen that pattern throughout the book, haven't we? We suffer now and glory follows and it's there again in verse one. That is the pattern of the Christian life. That's what Peter was living. He was suffering now. And that's what he was now calling Christian leaders to do as well. Stand up and be ready to suffer now. But look, a life of suffering in leading the flock leads to glory in the future. Look down to verse four. When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. See, a never-fading glory. Along with the example of Jesus' death on the cross, that never-fading glory is the motive for Christian leadership. The promise of a glory that is eternal and again, no, never-fading. What do we see? Back in chapter one, verse four, he promised an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's what keeps Christian leaders going, the hope Of glory, of being with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever. So, first, this is a call to elders to shepherd God's flock. And then, secondly, over the page on the handout, it's a call to young men to submit to the elders. This is the first half of verse 5. See, having addressed the church elders in the congregation, Peter now turns to speak. Just to young men, just for a minute, just to the young men. He singles out the young men here and asks them to think about their response to the elders. Look at verse five. Young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older. It is very hard for church leaders to lead young men who are petulant and full of themselves. Peter Davids in his commentary on this passage is very insightful. He points out that young men are often impatient with leaders leaders who either because of their pastoral wisdom or their conservatism are not as ready to move as quickly or as radically as the young men would like. Just think who it is who takes to the streets in times of repression. Who is it who breaks the curfews? Time and again, it's students, young men. Think back to Tiananmen Square or the destruction of the Berlin Wall or more recently in Hong Kong, or a year ago, as we were hearing on the news last night, when the revolution began in Ukraine, it was young men who took to the streets, young men who took the lead. So often it's young men who are brave with strong ideals and a, a go get attitude who make things happen. But as Peter Davids points out, it's in dangerous times When the church is being persecuted, when Christians are suffering for their faith, the readiness of young men to take a radical stand without considering the consequences could endanger the entire church. So young men, verse five, be submissive to those who are older. Submit to those who've been put in this position of eldership. So Peter says, elders, shepherd the flock. Secondly, young men submit to the elders. And thirdly, everyone, Be humble, verses five to seven. At first, we are to have a humility towards one another. This is the horizontal humility. Verse five, all of you, halfway through verse five, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. One of the the great dangers when we are under pressure, when the church is being persecuted and we're suffering for our faith, one of the great dangers is that we end up turning in on ourselves. We're under pressure and and, and rather than stand together and fight or do whatever we ought to do in response, we criticise one another. You may know it in your own nuclear family when we feel under pressure although that's the moment when we should sit together it's often the time when we fall out in families isn't it it's exactly the same in the church family when we're under pressure we respond to the pressure in different ways Uh, some will want to keep quiet because they want a quiet life others will want to fight back because that's their natural reaction to everything some will think negotiating is the way forward others will think that just sounds like compromise. Others will want to go for it and to some that will sound too aggressive as a Christian response. And so under pressure, it's very easy to criticise each other. And whenever we criticise others, we do it because we we think we're right, because we think we're so great. We criticise others when we have a very high opinion of ourselves and of our views. And so Peter says, verse 5, all of you all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another that's how you stay together you see we've seen it right through the letter time and again peter has told us to love one another why because under pressure we need each other when the world is bearing down on us we need to be here for each other to support each other so be humble don't think so highly of yourself see the point And especially when you read the proverb that Peter quotes in verse five, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's a thought. And that should be all I need to hear to make me want to learn humility. It is hard enough to live the Christian life in a world that's against me. The last thing I need is to have God opposing me as well. You might find this a bit strange. God opposes the proud Written to Christians. Yes, it is written to Christians. The other time when it's quoted in the New Testament in James, it's also written to Christians. God opposes the Well, he has to. He has to oppose the proud because pride is the antithesis of Christian living. It is pride that is at the heart of Satan's fall. Satan wanted to be God. Pride. It is pride that opposes God. So God must oppose the proud. He does it because he loves us. So let's be sure we have humility towards each other. And then secondly, be humble before God. Verse six, you see it there, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. In the Old Testament, this phrase in verse six, under God's mighty hand, is nearly always associated with God delivering his people. I've put some references on the handout for you to look up later. So verse six is saying, humble yourselves before God that he may do what he always loves to do, which is to lift you up in due time, to deliver you at the appointed time. He's saying here, be willing in humility to accept the hard times from the hand of God as well as the good times. When you feel the pressure, humbly know that whatever it feels like, God is on your side and and he is working for your deliverance. He is working to raise you up in due time. So humble yourselves, whatever your circumstances. And the way we most obviously humble ourselves before God is in prayer, verse seven, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's how we deal with hardship. That's how when we're suffering for being Christian, we deal with the constant temptation to be grumbling and complaining about our lot. We deal with it by humbling ourselves. By saying, whatever it feels like, God is for me. And then continually, daily, hourly even, casting our anxieties on him, knowing, verse seven, that he cares for you. See, being under pressure doesn't mean that he's against us. And when we're under pressure, we need to believe that he cares for us. Some of you will be, I know, some of you are under very real pressures right now. You have very real anxieties now. Throw them onto God because He cares for you. Humility towards one another, humility towards God. And then, thirdly, the need for humility in the spiritual battle. Very briefly, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. See, he's just been talking about humility and pride. So he mentions the devil full of pride and he reminds us we have an enemy, the devil. An enemy who is more powerful than us that is out to get us. That should humble us. He's seeking to pull you down. He's seeking to get you, to take you down with him, literally to take you down if he can. And in response, we only have to do three things. Do you see it there? Verse eight, be self-controlled. Verse eight, be alert. Verse nine, resist him by standing firm in the faith. That's all you have to do. That's how we stand against the devil. We don't need to fight against him. We don't need any sort of techniques of spiritual warfare we just need to stand firm in what we believe be self-controlled be alert and resist him and as we do that verse 10 the god of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen Well, let's turn to pray now to this God who cares for us. Let's pray together. thank you that you are not only the mighty God, but our Father who cares for us. We thank you that you have told us here that you care for us, and so we can cast all our anxiety upon you. And as we are going uh, under various pressures at the moment, um, different people in this congregation, and as we expect the times to get harder and more pressurised, we ask heavenly father that we would be those who humble ourselves under your mighty hand that we be humble towards one another that young men especially would be humble submitting uh, to elders that elders would be humble knowing that they are under shepherds that those they shepherd are not their sheep but your sheep we ask you please to help us to be a people of humility and as we are, knowing that you will raise us up in due time. Father, please do especially strengthen brothers and sisters here present tonight who are struggling one way and another, but especially those who are struggling because they've stood for you. Would you please help them and give them all they need to keep going to stand fast and uh, to do it in a way that brings glory and honour to your name. And we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.